Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Hallelujah. A few things I would like to highlight before we uh, get into the message today. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that tomorrow night, Monday evening at 6.30, right here in the sanctuary, we'll be joining again a church-wide prayer meeting. We had such a powerful time last Monday praying uh, for our 21 points of prayer. We, you know we're in that season right now. We're in that time where we're believing God uh, for miracles and that he would do great things. And so, uh, we're just coming together. It's a very informal uh, time. Just come on out, be a part. And we actually had people that we were able to pray for, lay hands on. Uh, God gave words and did miracles and, and, and just touched lives. So come on out, be a part of that. We had a great time in our Wednesday uh, worship uh, time, and we were believing God and praying, and, and lots of people were touched. Miracles were uh, done. And so we just want to invite you tomorrow night, come 6.30. Also, I want to make mention uh, Wednesday, night Bible study. Uh, Pastor Alex is doing uh, a class, starting a new class called The Power of Jesus' Blood. And I, I cannot emphasize enough how important the blood of Jesus is. Amen. And, you know, it is the foundation. It is the most powerful substance in all of creation. And it is what sets us free. It is what paid the price for our lives. So you want to come out and be a part of that 6.30 on Wednesday night. And then starting April 7th uh, in the readiness of Berea with uh, Howie, uh, he'll be starting a new Bible study uh, entitled The Believer's Authority. That's Thursday nights in room number eight at 6.30. You don't want to miss that. Mark that down. Also, um, Derman is doing his Speaker's World. Uh, again, he's taking sign-ups in the foyer. If you'd like to learn how to share your testimony and witness to people around you, this is a great class for that. I just want to make mention of those things because sometimes in the midst of our announcements, things do get lost. And so we wanted to highlight those. Lots going on, lots of changes. God is up to good things here at New Life Church. Amen? And so today, uh, we just want to move on and, and uh, move into our message today. And so if you have your Bibles, you could turn over to Genesis chapter 4. We'll get to that here in just a few minutes, Genesis 4, 25 and 26. It'll be on the screen here in a few minutes. Uh, but this is our second Sunday in our 21 days of prayer. And like I said, we've already uh, are seeing God move. Amen. We're already seeing God do miracles. And this... This really is my heart. I just, I, I'm really trying to just share my heart with you because um, I can get up and, and I can teach a lot of things. I can teach you theology and all kinds of stuff. But I, right now, I just feel like I need to share my heart with you about where I believe God wants us to go. You know, I, as I drive through town and just as I'm in, you know, involved in life throughout daily life through town, oftentimes I am confronted by uh, the problems that exist here in Kingman, Arizona. You know, you'll see people, you'll see situations, you'll see things going on, and you'll think to yourself, dear God, God needs to move on that situation. God, they need God's help. And I am so reminded, lately I've been so reminded of our desperate need for the power of God to move in our lives, for the desperate need of God getting involved. Amen? 
And you know, I, the thing that I've come to understand, now listen, I've, I make statements sometimes that sound like absolute statements, and some of them have merit, but listen to what I'm saying. I made a statement the other day that says God does nothing except in, the, in answer to prayer. And there is truth to that. Now we know that God's a sovereign God and he's at work, but listen, God long time ago chose to partner with us in prayer. Amen. He chose to partner with us in prayer. In fact, he goes, Jesus speaking, he says, ask, seek, and knock. He goes, ask, and you'll, 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 you'll receive, seek, you'll find, knock, it'll be open to you. But if you go back and you look at the original Greek and you look at the, what that it's saying, it's saying, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And so the emphasis is on the prayer. It's the emphasis on getting a hold of God and coming to him in prayer and communicating with him and drawing him in through prayer. God chose to partner with us on the earth through prayer. And that's how much of the business, if not all of the business of the kingdom of heaven is, is manifest, is through our prayers. And so when we drive around and we see things, there's a tendency we can either get hopeless and go, man, life is horrible. Man, I don't know what we're going to do. Or what we can do is find our place on our knees and go, God, I'm going to get a hold of you and this thing's changing. And I choose to go that route. I choose to say, you know what, God, You've given me a power, you've given me ability, you've given me a privilege to come boldly before your throne, to boldly come into your presence, and to petition the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't just come in as a serf or a servant, I come in as a child of the King of heaven. I come in as a prince in the kingdom of God, and I say to him, Father, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. He says, that's how I want you to pray. I want you to engage me as your father. I want you to understand who I am. Lift up my name. Understand who I am and then come in. And the first prayer I want you to pray is that my kingdom and my will would be done and accomplished on earth as it already is in heaven. Heaven has already said yes to every promise in the word of God. The Bible says yes and amen. He's already said yes. We don't have to ask if it's his will. We don't have to sit back and say, God, is this your will? Do you want to do this? God is not undecisive. God is not uh, uh, fickle. In other words, God is not changing his mind. He's already decided he wants to deliver the planet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so when I think about this and I think about, well, where's, where's my part in this? What, what do I got to do? He says, I want you to engage me. I, I want you to talk to me. I want you to bring those things before me. God says those prayers, the prayers of the saints are like sweet-smelling uh, incense. They're like a, a savor to him. He, when they waft up and he, and he smells, he holds them in bowls. The Bible says before his throne are bowls that are filled with the prayers of the saints. There's never a prayer that you've prayed that has ever gone away. They're still stored in those bowls. And often, God, have you ever done that? Have, it's kind of like, I think it's kind of like God going through a photo album. You ever gone through a photo album? You look, oh, wow, I remember that. I remember that. And God goes through this kind of this high-tech photo album of our prayers. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, that's so good. Now, I know I'm kind of humanizing that because God's not going, oh, yeah, because God remembers everything. But the point is, is that our prayers are before him always. Amen. 
And he loves it when we pray. Can you say amen? amen? He loves it when we pray. He wants us to pray. He wants us to engage in his life and in him. He wants to partner with us through this activity called prayer. Amen? I want to share a quote with you that, that I've shared many, many times before in sermons, but it's, it's something that has stood out to me over the years, and it has gripped me. And every time I read it, every time I read it, it's, it's one of those things that just makes me think. Jack Hayford, he said these words. He says, the impossible faces us all. How many know that's true? We are often confronted with things that are impossible. He says, it storms, it fumes, it looms before us. It stalks our days, it presses upon our minds, it bends our plans, it stands formidably across our future. It pierces our presence and it, present and it reaches out from the past. But there is a way to face impossibility. Invade it. Not with a glib speech or high hopes, not in anger, not through stoical self-control, but with violence. Prayer provides the vehicle for this kind of violence. Sometimes prayer's got to get a little violent. Sometimes we got to get a little bit desperate. Can you say amen? Sometimes we got to get a little bit passionate in our prayer. Sometimes we got to get a hold of God and say, God, I cannot, I cannot leave this room until it changes. God, I'm not going to leave this room. I am going to storm the gates of heaven until you change my circumstance. Jesus told the story of the woman that went before the unrighteous judge, and she kept knocking. Tell me when it gets irritating. It's probably already there, right? She knocked. She had a petition. And she needed the judge to move. And the Bible says, finally. He says, you know what? I'm just going to do it to get her off my back. Oh, that the children of God would learn that principle. Sometimes what we do is we come in, we're so uh, 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 flaccid, we're just, it's just like this pablum. You know, Jesus, you know, if you want to, you know, if you, if you, want, if you want to, if you, if you really feel up to it, and if, if you're feeling strong today, you, you could save my children. Let me tell you something. When he went to the cross, it was violent. When every drop of his blood was spilled on the ground, God bankrupt heaven so that your children, so that you and everyone else could be saved. God wasn't up in heaven going, well, you know, I might do this on a really good day, but, you know, it's, I got to be having a good day. That's not the picture of God. We need to go to heaven. We need to get in that throne room. We need to walk in and say, you know what, God, I need you. I need you to move. See, prayer is not an option, church. It's not an option. It's not something that we can take or leave. It's something we must embrace with the violence of passion. 
One man said this, prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God working hand in hand with God toward the realization of his redemptive purposes on the earth. This is how we partner with God, is through prayer. Think about it for a moment. But so many times prayer is often the second choice or the third choice. Or we say things like this, think about this, because it speaks a lot to our, our mindset. Well, I guess all I can do is pray. As if there was something else that you could do. <coughs> As if there was some other option. When the boat is sinking, you don't stand on deck and go, well, I guess I could swim. I don't know. Might be an option. Maybe it'll work. No, no. You're going to find out if you're a good swimmer or not. Prayer is God's program. It's God's program. It's what he's into. Jim Cimbala said these words. He said, prayer is the most essential thing found in the Bible along with faith and God. In fact, some have maintained that it is true. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But the only way to know where there is real faith is to see whether there is real prayer. Because if someone really believes in God, they instinctively begin to call on the name of the Lord. See, there's something that's hardwired in us, church, that wants to communicate with God. I don't care, saint or sinner alike, there is something in humanity, in a human being, that God put in us in the beginning, that we are to talk to him, to fellowship with him, to walk with him. That is the desire. The problem is, is the devil has distorted that feel. The devil has distorted that dynamic. He's rewired some things so we make it about self, or we make it about objects, or we make it about pleasure, or we make it about money, or power, or fame, or, or whatever. It's something else, but ultimately church Every person in this room, it was created to walk in fellowship with God. And that we are to cry out and to call upon the name of the Lord, to pray. And so it's with that thought that I want you to listen to our text. It's Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. It says, and Adam knew his wife. And she bore a son and named him Seth, for God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, who Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. The, then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. Now, this is a portion of Scripture I think that oftentimes gets overlooked because it doesn't seem like there is a whole lot of fanfare there. It's, it's kind of historic. It's given us a little bit of information. It's telling us that, you know what, um, uh, Adam, you know, had relations with his wife and Seth was conceived and he was born and Seth obviously grew up and married a woman and had a baby named Enosh and, and then men started calling upon the name of the Lord. Great, move on to chapter 5. That's right at the end of chapter 4. But the story gives us great insight into the spiritual development of mankind after the fall. 
The setting for this story is about 235 years after creation. Sin is gaining momentum. Cain has killed Abel. And, though the, and through that seed, through the seed of Cain, godless people are rising up and humanity is taking a turn. But God does something. He appoints another. He plants a new seed, another seed, back into humanity, and Seth is born. And through Seth, the plan of redemption, salvation, and reconciliation is realized. And at this time, something remarkable begins to happen. The descendants of Seth begin to call upon the name of the Lord. They begin to pray. And these people sensed that God wasn't just this big, large, supernatural creator, but that in fact he cared about them and their problems. And they were given a revelation that God would intervene in their everyday lives if they would call upon him. And what's interesting here about the dynamic of calling upon the name of the Lord is it literally became what identified them. In other words, they became known as the people who called upon the name of the Lord. Before there was scripture, before there was Greek and Hebrew Bible studies, before there was a church, before there were Jews or Christians or Gentile, God had people who were identified by this, they who called on the name of the Lord. From virtually the very beginning of time, there was an instinct in the heart of man to call on the name of the Lord. The very seed of what we're doing today, what we're doing right now, was planted long ago. It began back then of what we're doing now, calling upon the name of the Lord. Churches, if there's anything that I have learned in the years of my ministry and the time that I've been in, I've learned this. I cannot do it without God. John 15, 5 is absolutely correct. Without him, I can do nothing. Oh, I've tried. Church, I've tried to do it without him. I've tried. I've tried to manipulate and I've tried to control and micromanage and I've tried to have the you know, positive mental thinking and I've tried to come up with all of the calisthenics of how to do things and where to do it and when to do it, you know, and all, all the things about leadership and all of that. And they fall grossly flat in comparison when I pray. I can't do this. But with him, I can do everything. There's nothing that can stop me with him. And so somewhere in the midst of this, I must learn to call upon the name of the Lord. I must learn to get a hold of him because it is his desire. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says this. Listen to these words. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon him. Isn't that a wonderful statement? He goes, who is like us? Who has a God like us that is as close to us when we call upon him? 
See, when we call upon him, it gets his attention. When we call upon him, he's listening. His ears are open. His eyes are open to who you are and what's going on. He's listening for your voice. Out of the 7,000 plus, close to, or 7 billion, close to 8 billion people on the planet, God has dialed in to your voice. Are you hearing me? It's no secret this morning that the Christian life is a life of warfare. We are involved in a cosmic battle between the forces of heaven and the forces of evil, and this conflict rages day and night with no break. Lives hanging in the balance of the outcome of each battle. No one is exempt from this battle. There's only two outcomes. Either you will become a victim or you will become a victor. And many times the difference between those two is what you do in prayer. The enemy sows lies, consistently blaming God for our suffering. He lobs streams of accusation designed to deepen our distress. He attempts to move us from faith to fear, from conviction to condemnation, from peace to chaos, from passion to complacency. Listen to what I'm saying, church. If the devil can't destroy you, then he wants to derail you. Somehow you have it in your ability, your willpower, you keep showing up to church. And the devil has decided it's okay so long as you accomplish nothing. So if he can't destroy you, he wants to derail you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the only effective weapon in this battle is prayer. Calling upon the name of the Lord. And it's through the weapon of prayer that we learn that we can overcome anything the enemy throws at us. But here's the problem. The problem is this thing called complacency. Because I think by and large, the American, I won't even say the Western, I would say the American church, we have grown so comfortable. We've grown to a place where we come in and, and we're entertained or, or we come in and we're comfortable and we got cool air blowing and we got donuts and coffee and this and that and all those things and I'm not against any of it. But we come in and, and it's like we put in, we, 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 we do our time card, our spiritual time card. We click and go, there, I've done my hour for Jesus. And all we've really done was sit in a service. And we grow complacent. But then, but then what happens is when trouble begins to brew, when things begin to happen, we, we become aware of our need for him. And the first thing we do is we call out to pastor. I appreciate the confidence. I really do. I appreciate the fact that you love me and that you have confidence in me, and that's wonderful, and I love serving this church, and I love serving you, but I do not have the power to change your situation. Amen. Jesus does. Amen. It's not my name. It's not in the name of John. It's in the name of Jesus. And the same God that I reach out to when I'm praying for you, you can reach out to. 
And it's not that I'm sitting back saying, don't call me. Certainly, I will help you and teach you and lead you in that. But don't misunderstand. Church, there's got to become a time after 35 years in church, you should know how to pray. But we get comfortable. And we get, it's like, well, I could take it or leave it. You know, it's not, I'm, you know. So how do you know that about me? Because I know it about me. And I'm not much different than you. Sometimes, I, I, I hate to admit it, there's times when I'm, I'm, I get my food and I'm, I'm hungry and I know you, you don't understand. I, you look at me and go, you're never, yes, I am. I'm, I'm hungry. And I'll get chowing my food down and halfway through, God's like, really? Oh, sorry, God. Let me stop. Let me... <laughs> God, thank you for all that's in me right now in Jesus' name. And we forget to pray. But then when crisis comes, it's like, God, bail me out. The thing I'm learning is that a lifestyle of prayer will keep you bailed out. Listen to what E.M. Bounds said in his book, book, The Weapon of Prayer. He said, nothing is more important to God than prayer in dealing with mankind. But, is, but it is likewise all important to man, for man to pray. Failure to pray is failure along the whole line of life. It is failure of duty, service, and spiritual progress. He who does not pray therefore robs himself of God's help and places God where he cannot be a help to man. Man must pray to love God if love for God is to exist. Faith, hope, and patience and all the strong, beautiful, vital forces of the Christian life are withered and dead in a prayerless life. The life of the individual believer, his personal salvation, and the power of his Christian walk have their being and their fruitfulness in prayer. Think about that for a moment. I know those are tough words. Those are hard words. We, we don't like those words because they hold us accountable. This is the thing that I'm beginning to understand. It's like, don't hold me accountable. No, we need to be held accountable. It's like, no, it's all about grace. Yes, it is all about grace. But grace is not a pass. Grace does not overlook sin. It empowers righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Prayer is the vehicle which God intervenes in the affairs of this life. And prayer must come with the abandon. This, this thing that we abandon ourselves. We are, what I'm trying to say is the best words I can think of is that we are radically dependent upon Him. And that's going to take some passion, church. And this is the thing that I think that stirs me more than anything that, that I, I think that gets, be, gets beside me is because it's so easy to be passive. It is so easy just to put a time in. You know, I watch sometimes and I know that I kind of get myself in trouble sometimes because people think that I'm shooting at them and I am not. I am trying to show you the way out. We come into church and church we worship and, I, and so many times I see people and they just stand. 
We're worshiping the living God. We're worshiping the one that allowed his body to be beaten so badly you could not recognize it as a human being anymore. We're worshiping the one that came from heaven to earth and allowed every drop of his precious blood to be spilled out. He was stripped naked, mocked, hung on a tree, crucified so that you could live. Then he took your sin to hell for you. He paid a price, listen, so that you would have a chance to receive him. It was still up to you. Even with all that he did, you could still reject him. Even with all that he did, you could still walk away and say, I want nothing to do with him. And he would do it over. Again and again. And if you were the only one to ever give your life to Christ, he would do it all the same, just as he did for the whole world. But we come in, and because of our ego, or because we don't want to be embarrassed, or because we don't want to be excitable, or because whatever, we just... And we don't push. I wonder today... If all of a sudden somebody ran in the back door and said, I've got good news, the gospel, right? The gas station, gas and grub right here has decided for the next five hours, they're selling gas at 80 cents a gallon (laughs) for the next five hours. This place would clear out. You would, be, you would go home, you would get every jug, milk can, every gas can, jar. You would get everything. You would go 80 cents a gallon. I'm buying $8,000 worth of gas. I'm, I'm going to get me a tanker. I'm going to empty that tank over there. You would be excited. You would be aggressive. And you Christians would even try to figure out how to cut in line. Because you're so passionate about your 80 cent gallon of gas. But then we go, because we've become so familiar. Yeah, he died. Yeah, I know. He died. Yeah, we're worshiping. What do you want? What do you want, man? I can worship. I'm I'm here, ain't I? I know. I'm, 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 I'm not sorry, but I am. Here's the problem. Hell has convinced us that our prayers don't mean much. I heard someone once, I heard someone recently say, we pray enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to make impact. See, the Bible promises us in James chapter 5, verse 16, the, the, the effectual fervent, underline fervent, prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's no doubt in my mind that the reason people began to call on the name of the Lord back in the day was because of some trouble. Trouble begins to mount. Questions begin to rise. Hardships pile in and revelation comes. Call upon me and I'll be there. Call upon me and I'll answer you. 
God becomes more than a creator. He becomes a father who will listen to his children's cry. And what is God doing? God has had one goal in all that he does. There's been one agenda. He has never changed. He is not a God that changes. There's been one goal from the very beginning, from the very beginning of time to this very moment. He's had one goal, and that is to have a relationship with you. Everything he has done, everything, is so that you could walk in relationship with him in your free will. He did not want robots. He did not want pre-programmed automatons. He did not want people that were forced into relationship. He wanted a creation. He wanted sons and daughters that would willfully choose him and willfully walk with him. So the only way that he could do that is he had to put another choice into the process that was so perfectly developed that it could literally destroy the whole plan. It's the only way it could be real. It was a risk. It was a risk of paramount uh, proportions. So he had one rule in the garden. One. Everything is yours. Everything except this one tree. It's mine. The fruit of it is mine. Don't eat the fruit. That was it. The only rule. Everything else was theirs in abundance. They walked with, with the God of creation in the cool of the day. They fellowshiped with him, talked with him. They were passionate with him. But then Satan came and began to lie and deceive told them that God wasn't who he was and they weren't who they were created to be and they needed to do something about it. And the only thing that they could do was to eat the fruit that God was keeping from them and hiding because God was hiding something from them. That was the risk. And they fell for it. And in relationship in that very moment was severed because when God came back as he normally did in the cool of the day, He could not find his children. Adam, where are you? Because sin did to them what it does to us, it made them hide. They were hiding and that they were ashamed. And God says, what's gone on? Did you eat the fruit of the center, the the tree in the center of the garden? Yes, we did. So your eyes have been opened. Yes, they have. And relationship was severed. There was now a wedge between God and man. And immediately, in that moment, God went to work to restore the relationship. So that he could once again walk in the cool of the day, fellowshipping with his children. That is the pinnacle of prayer. That we would fellowship with him. Are you hearing me? Everything he did, 
the whole Old Testament, the law, the temple, the, all of the rules and regulations of the sacrifices and all the stuff that foreshadowed the coming Christ and then sending his only begotten son into a world that would ultimately kill him. All of that to deal with the problem that separated him from his children and that was a thing called sin. And he dealt with the problem so that he could be in restoration, that he could restore the relationship, so that his children could talk to him again, so that they could be in union with the Father. But so many times what happens is the only time we respond to him is when we're in trouble. Sometimes what happens is the only time that we call out to him is when the day of trouble comes. But thank God Here's the goodness of our God. Our God actually says, listen, if that's all I could get, I'm good with it because I love you so much, I will be there in your day of trouble. Listen to these verses. Psalm 50, verse 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and, I will glor- and you will glorify me. Second Chronicles 33, 12 and 13 says, but while in deep distress, you gotta listen to this story. Manasseh sought the Lord his God and cried out humbly to the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request, request for help. So the Lord let Manasseh return to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Manasseh had finally realized that the Lord Lord alone is God. Manasseh was a horribly wicked king, did unspeakable things. But he reaches out to God in the midst of his trouble, and right there is God to restore him. Psalm 91, 15 through 16, he shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him and with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 86, 5 and 6 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him sincerely. And Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We call upon him. God is such a God of grace and mercy, church. It's hard to walk in grace and mercy. It's hard because we want to walk in the law. We want to walk in the letter. We want to walk in punishment. We want to walk in, you're going to get yours. But when you are walking in God, we walk in grace and mercy. God said, he said these words. He says, no Moabite will ever enter the kingdom of God. But yet Ruth, who was a Moabite, is not only in the kingdom of God, she's listed in the lineage of Christ. Why? Because she looked at Naomi and said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your home will be my home. She surrendered, and God said, you know what, I love that. Pour out grace and mercy. See, that's what he wants, relationship. The prostitute at Jericho. She was a Gentile. She was, she was part of the nations that they were destroying. God said, wipe them all out. Get rid of all of them. But she helped the men of God. And God said, I'll help you. She cries out to God. 
Church prayer is such a powerful thing. We need to cry out to Him. We need to be passionate about it. Nothing today, as I bring this to a close, Jason can come. Nothing hinders an attitude of expectancy in prayer more than the idea that God is fickle when it comes to our prayers. For many of us, we are just not convinced that He's listening or that He will do anything anyway. I know, church, I know some of you have been praying a very long time. Some of you have been praying calendar years, some for decades, about issues in your life that you have yet to see happen. I can't answer why. I don't know that I could give you an answer that would adequately satisfy you concerning why you've had to wait. But I can tell you this, God has heard your prayer, and he is answering it. It may not be the answer you want, because our God, our Father in heaven, is a good God. He will not give you what is going to hurt you. And he is working and moving and he's putting into place things that will not just help you but help all those around you. I don't always understand. And sometimes, to be quite honest with you, I struggle with it. Sometimes I talk to him about it and he's good to talk about it. Sometimes I go, God, what in the world? I've been praying about this for a long time. God, why aren't you doing anything? And he's always very gentle. God has never been mean to me. He's always said something like, it's okay, John, I'm there. I'm with you. I've got your back. Sometimes he doesn't answer the question why. Sometimes he just says, trust me, John. Just trust me. I'm at work. I'm moving. I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten you. Just keep calling out to me. See, we get convinced. The devil tells us, oh, God didn't hear us, or God tells us God does. You know what? When the, when, if you ever hear these words in your head or from someone else, these words, or even out of your own mouth, God doesn't love me, it is the epitome of lies. It is a lie. For God not to love you would mean that he has to stop being God. He loves you. He loves you with a love that's everlasting. He loves you beyond what you can actually understand or will ever understand. And he wants you to call out to him. He wants you to press into him. He wants you to pray. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13 says, Then you will call unto me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you've searched with me with all your heart. And Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, we have a friend in heaven who is not resistant, he is not hesitant. He is not reluctant, but he wants to engage with us. He wants to help us. But you know what? He wants to know what you think about life. I have found, and I know this is going to sound really sappy and corny, and I don't care. But there are times when I see sunsets, or there'll be times when I'll see a, a vista 
that's beautiful or something that moves me, and I'll talk to God about it. I remember shortly after, I'll tell you this story, shortly after my mom had passed away, I was struggling with that. It was about a week after she had passed, and I had gone up in the mountains, and I was just up there praying, and it was evening time, and I started coming down the mountain. And as I was coming down, the sun was setting, and it was just one of those Arizona sunsets, you know, just one of those beautiful moments. And I remember there were so many colors and just all that was going on. And I, I remember just saying to God, wow, God, that is so beautiful. Look at those colors. And I remember God spoke to me very clearly into my life. He goes, I have colors you have not seen. And then he just, this was the, this was the comfort. He goes, but your mom's seeing them. Ha, <laughs> God. She's been gone 20-some years now. I don't even, long time. I think it's 22. I don't, I don't know. It's a long time. And it still moves me, man. It moves me. Because God knew what I needed at that moment. That moment. I think about the ones that have gone on. Howard. Pam, you don't, probably many of you don't know who she is. My mom, my dad. Others of your family people that we've known, the loved ones that have gone on and they're in heaven now. And now they're walking with him, they're talking with him. And, you know, I don't know how God does it. I, I, you know, my kind of heaven is I want all you cleared out. I want Jesus all to myself. And I know, I know there's others that feel that way. I know Brandy feels that way. It's like, you all go somewhere else because this is my heaven and my Jesus. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it. He's going to give us individualized attention. But that's God. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And the reason that he does it is because he is so desperately in love with us and he wants to commune. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelations 3.20. And if any man hears hears the knock and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. I will fellowship with him. In fact, That word sup is not supper. It actually, if you look it up in the Greek, it means breakfast. And I actually was meditating on that the other day, and I thought, God, why breakfast? He goes, breakfast is an intimate moment. It's when the family gets together. See, because it's in the morning when everybody's woke up, and you've spent the night. (laughs) I'll let you go from there. God wants to be with us. Can you say amen? And he wants us to pray. Why don't you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for all that you're doing. We appreciate you. We love you and we praise you. We pray right now and I pray, God, Lord, for every person, God, both in this room and watching online. Father, I pray that you would give them a hunger and a passion for prayer. Father, that we would begin to develop that skill, God, developing that muscle to talk with you, to commune with you. Oh, Father, that we would hear your voice, God, that we would fellowship with you. God, that we would not just come with our list of needs, although you want us to do that too, but that we would come to you, God, with all of our life, submitting the whole of our life to you. God, that we would reach out to you. God, give us, give us that passion, Father. 
as we give you glory in Jesus' name. Praise God. Isn't God good this morning? Before you get up, I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would come, our ministry team. Come on up, and they're going to find their way up. We always do this. The reason we do this is because we want you to have an opportunity to have somebody pray over you. We know that a lot of times people come, and they come with issues, and they come with dilemmas, and they need God to move, and you need someone to agree with you in prayer. Well, I just want to say these, these folks up here, they will agree with you in prayer, and they will pray with you. So we're going to stand to our feet. If you need prayer of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you. The rest of you, we're going to release you. We love you. Let you go. And have a great Sunday afternoon. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.